In his 1961 address to the annual convention of the National Association of Broadcasters, Newton Minow famously offered a pessimistic assessment of America's most exciting new industry. Television, declared Minow, was turning into a vast wasteland of blood and thunder, and formula comedies. Minow, the recently appointed head of the Federal Communications Commission, specified only one weekly series he found dramatic and moving, a hopeful sign of what broadcast television could become. This was The Twilight Zone, which its creator and chief writer, Rod Serling, described as a series of imaginative tales that are not bound by time or space or the established laws of nature. The Twilight Zone won numerous industry awards and wide critical acclaim. At the start, hard-hitting journalist Mike Wallace was skeptical. In his interview with Serling, conducted just days before The Twilight Zone premiered, Wallace implied that writing about flying saucers and time machines was something of a come-down for the man whose incisive character studies, realistic in approach, had become touchstones for quality television. After all, science fiction on television heretofore meant shows like Flash Gordon and Rocky Jones, Space Ranger, Kitty Stuff, made on the cheap Serling Wallace implied would be turning out pot boilers now and laughing all the way to the bank. But Serling was adamant that Twilight Zone was a high-quality anthology series, as adult in its way as other TV drama has been. Traveling through another dimension at MGM, The Twilight Zone employed the talents of several accomplished Hollywood veterans, including the directors Mitchell Lyson, Joseph Newman, and Ida Lupino. The composer Bernard Herrmann, famed for scoring Citizen Kane and various Hitchcock hits, and George Clemens, who would win an Emmy for his cinematography on the series. Actors from across four generations appeared on the show, from respected senior figures like Buster Keaton, Gladys Cooper, and Agnes Moorhead, to character actors like John McIver and Ed Wynn, to up-and-comers like Burt Reynolds, Robert Duvall, Dennis Hopper, William Shatner, Robert Redford, and a young Ron Howard. Serling himself wrote or co-wrote 92 of the show's 156 episodes, but not every episode was a gem. Some were real turkeys, he admitted, such as Mr. Dingle the Strong, a second-season episode in which a two-headed alien walks into a bar, perhaps an attempt one of several on Serling's part, to imitate the writings of Frederick Brown, popular in the 50s for mixing comedy and science fiction in such offbeat classics as Martians Go Home from 1955. But for the most part, The Twilight Zone was written with an eye towards the literacy of the actor and the intelligence of the audience. Some wisp of memory, Serling, who early in his career overestimated the potential of broadcast television, clearly underestimated the staying power of the show that sustains his name to this day. In 1966, he sold back to CBS his sizable stake in the Twilight Zone, suspecting, apparently, that the show would, having run its course, just gather dust in the network's vaults. But he did not foresee the age of syndication. From the start, the series was a hit in reruns, and it's still shown regularly on broadcast and cable outlets around the world, including on Sci-Fi, which for 20 years has run a Twilight Zone marathon on New Year's Eve. Chris Carter, creator of The X-Files, has acknowledged his debt to the Twilight Zone, 
and echoes of Serling's series persist everywhere in contemporary science fiction and film. In this regard, it is worth noting that Ithaca College, where Serling taught classes for several years, has created a Rod Serling Award for advancing social justice through popular media. In 2016, the inaugural award was bestowed on David Simon, whose show The Wire is considered one of the foremost exemplars of the latest golden age of television. A writer's claim to recognition doesn't take the passage of time very well, Serling observed in 1957, adding that the aspiring TV writer should buy a scrapbook, since that would be probably the only way he'll find permanence in recognition. The creator of The Twilight Zone would be surprised, perhaps, that the way he struggled with the show, the artistic achievement he worried would face oblivion, remains to this day. All that from the enduring legacy of The Twilight Zone by Brian Murray in The New Atlantis. Rod Serling is a native of Binghamton, New York, and he will be remembered this Monday evening as Keystone Edition Arts returns for a new season on WVIA-TV. The program's theme is the world of science fiction and fantasy, and it focuses on our region. Larry Casson, a nationally known expert on Rod Serling, will be one of our guests here in the studio. We'll also highlight the renowned Milford Writers Conference, founded here in Pike County by a number of adventurous authors, finding ways to create compelling works of science fiction still alive to this day. Their influence is and international in its reach. And we'll also learn about the current trends in science fiction and fantasy from a writer from Williamsport on the faculty of Lycoming College. We're very pleased to invite you to be in the studio audience for this live broadcast, and you can find details at wvia.org. Larry Casson is director of special projects for the Binghamton City Schools and Keystone Edition Arts producer. Mindy Kronk had a chance to speak with Casson by phone to learn more about his work on Rod Serling. What drew you to learn about Rod Serling? Well, I'm originally from Long Island, uh, downstate New York, and I came up to the Binghamton area in the mid-80s. And I was always a fan of the Twilight Zone. I did not know much about Rod Serling, but when I accepted this position at the Binghamton City School District, I quickly learned that Rod Serling was a graduate of the Binghamton High School, class of 1943. And I started thinking of ways uh, that we can work with that great connection with the Rod Serling name and his image. And eventually we decided to start a School of the Arts. We named it after him. We had permission from the family to use his name and image associated with the School of the Arts. And then I started a video festival that really celebrated the work of video technology in K through 12. Most video contests were, were really amateur filmmakers, professional, and I wanted to do something to highlight the work of student video. And so we started that, and uh, I kind of by default became a Rod Serling expert. Uh, I started reading and studying a lot about him, speaking with the family, speaking with colleagues of his, and I started doing some kind of small presentations on a, on a local basis about his life, and that became national that became you know throughout the state throughout the country i was getting calls from people to to present on rod serling and you know so that's pretty much how it all started and 
what surprised you when you did your research? What did you then share with with the various audiences? Uh, One of the things that I was amazed to learn is that Rod Serling really opened the door for for better quality television. You know, when he started working, and and I find a parallel uh, with his life and and television, because when he started working for television, it was was called the golden age. It was live television. It was shows like Westinghouse Theater, um, Playhouse 90, excellent programming. And then in a few short years, it it became America's vast wasteland and, and, and the boob tube. And I think that, you know, Rod Serling was the one who opened the door for quality television because he was one of the first writer-producers. Prior to Rod, producers were really the the corporate sponsors, the, the network executives. The writers had very limited role in the quality of the show. And that changed with uh, Rod Serling, and I think that opened the door for for future television that really became much better and and much smarter. Was was his first TV writing The Twilight Zone, or were there works before that? Actually, uh, way before The Twilight Zone, Rod Serling got his credit in what I said was I called the golden age of television, writing for Kraft Television Theater. He won his first Emmy for a show called Patterns. He followed it with Requiem for a Heavyweight with the great Jack Palance. He uh, was doing tremendous work in television and and accumulated, prior to the Twilight Zone, three Emmys for creative writing and dramatic television. He has a total of uh, six, and uh, many of them are on display right now in Ithaca College at where his archives are. What drew him then to to create the Twilight Zone or to focus more on science fiction or that kind of genre? The Twilight Zone, not many people know, uh, basically was created due to, I think, a frustration Rod had with with corporate interference. Uh, As I said earlier, corporate interference was was very apparent in, in television production at that time. And there uh, was a murder in 1955 of Emmett Till, Emmett Bobo Till, and he tried to dramatize it, and he failed. He, he tried two television scripts that were really destroyed by the, the censors and the, um, and the corporate executives. Various reasons. Um, they didn't want to upset the South, um, many other situations. That being said, he kind of fooled everybody, and uh, where his contemporaries like Patty Chayefsky, you may know him, he wrote uh, Network and a few wonderful screenplays, they left television for the Hollywood, for movies, whereas Rod kind of fooled everyone at their, their at his own game. He created a series that corporate executives didn't really understand, and that was by using science and, and fantasy to tell some of the most uh, amazing stories, and they really didn't get it. He has many quotes that I love, but one of my favorite is he said he created the Twilight Zone because what he couldn't have Republicans or Democrats say on television, he could easily have Martians say. And um, he actually did pretty much fool everybody. The Twilight Zones were, many of them were mini morality plays. They had such deep social messages, but because they were wrapped in, in science fiction and fantasy, a lot of people didn't get it. I think they figured it out after they, they saw some of the episodes, but um, I don't think the corporate executives ever figured it out. There are ways that he brought in his hometown of Binghamton 
into some of the episodes? Rod had a tremendous love for Binghamton. Uh, There are many reasons for that. Uh, Speaking with his wife, she used to say, uh, his wife Carol, she used to say that he had an idyllic childhood. Binghamton, like many areas in the Northeast, were were company towns. They started with uh, George F. Johnson, who had the Endicott Johnson shoes, and where other corporate towns, for example, were hiring Pinkerton guards to keep their employees, you know, in line. George F. Johnson was very different. You know, he built carousels, he built parks, he built baseball fields, he had company towns. Now, now that can be debated as to the advantages of that and disadvantages, but that's probably for another radio show. But uh, he really loved Binghamton, and it and uh, there are some great stories, and, and he reflected that love in many of the episodes, and actually much of his work. He would showcase uh, a carousel in a very biographical episode called Walking Distance. His teacher, uh, his drama teacher at Binghamton High School was Helen Foley, and she was a character in one of the Twilight Zones. And again, as I said, it really, it really wasn't until World War II where he, he started seeing what the world was all about. What's your sense? Are his writings, are his works still relevant today? It um, amazes me how often you can see some of the scripts of the Twilight Zone and and relate to them things that are happening right now. Uh, some of his opening and closing statements, he he did one about the Holocaust. He did one about uh, other experiences that that you could pretty much just read as a standalone, and it and it would fit to many of the situations that are happening today. Uh, he was a very moral man. He he really believed that it was important to really care about something and and to and to try to to resolve uh, situations. Uh, again, I I think that uh, most of the stories could be relatable to to events of the day. Sometimes, sadly. Tell us about the program you have for fifth grade students in the district. We're fortunate at the uh, Binghamton City School District to run a program called The Fifth Dimension. This is a program that introduces many of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone scripts to the fifth graders. They, they work with a challenge teacher. They, they examine the scripts. They read the social messages, uh, many messages of self-worth, of social understanding, you know, many different social messages. As I said, they were very much like morality plays. And they they look at the videos, they, they read the scripts, then they watch the videos. And what we do once a year, which is a big highlight of the Fifth Dimension program, is uh, Ann Serling, Rod's youngest daughter, comes to the school. And we have what's called Rod Serling Day, where all the fifth graders come to the high school. They meet in an assembly, and they learn more about the man, whereas they spent a lot of time learning about the Twilight Zone. With Anne there, she shows family pictures. It's almost like a rock star. They all come in and they want her to autograph things for them. And it's wonderful that she takes so much of her personal time to work with our fifth graders. And you mentioned the film festival. Are there some favorite videos that you that you have? Um, when I started the video festival, and I ran it for about a little over 20 years, and then I kind of forwarded it to our local public television station for control, which is WSKG. And through the years, uh, you know, watching hundreds of videos, 
but some really, really were, were just wonderful. And, and what I love to see is the progression as a filmmaker. Many of them said that they were inspired by Rod Serling's work to go on and study it in college. And, and often, even though the festivals ended for high school students, while in college or even as professionals, I would get a package in the mail every now and then with, hey, this is my, my graduate program from you know Syracuse University or uh, other colleges. And it was just so great to see how this inspired them to, to find a path in life and, and start a career, very successful careers. Is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to mention? Uh, it's very important to understand Rod as, uh, as, as his experiences in World War II. And a lot of people don't realize what he experienced in World War II. He was overseas. He, he fought in, in the Philippines. He has the Philippine Liberation Army Medal. He had a Purple Heart. He, he spent a lot of his life with some shrapnel still in his knee. He would wake up in the middle of the night, his wife would tell me, and think he was back in the Philippines. And, and I think his war experiences really, really helped shape the, the, the writer he became. Larry Casson, director of special projects for the Binghamton City Schools and a nationally known expert on Rod Serling, Binghamton native Rod Serling, he will be one of the guests, and producer Mindy Kronk spoke with him in anticipation of Keystone Edition Arts on WVIA-TV this Monday evening at 7. And he will talk more in depth about The Twilight Zone, particularly the science fiction aspects, and that connection that he mentioned to Emmett Till and the outrage that Rod Serling felt when he learned of the Emmett Till murder. And so that's part of the program. And the other guests are Christine Cohen. She's a literary agent with the Virginia Kid Agency in Milford, Pennsylvania, Pike County. And that is an agency, a longstanding agency, that specializes in fantasy, science fiction, and horror, and other exceptional works in other genres. And she'll be with us to talk about the agency and the wonderful award winners having been published by the Virginia Kid Agency, names we all will know. And also she'll talk about the Milford Writers Conference that was established in the middle of the 20th century in Milford by enterprising creative artists who wanted to find a way to write well, good science fiction, and they came up with what's called the Milford Writers Method, and that is still affecting writers today, so we'll be talking about that. And also, it's wonderful, we have a bright young writer, an assistant professor at Lycoming College in Williamsport, Phoebe Wagner, who creates works of speculative fiction and climate change. Those are her interests, and she brings them together in her own novels, novellas, and she's the editor of three solar punk anthologies, and she'll talk to us about the current world of science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction, and what she is writing herself. So that's all on WVIA-TV's Keystone Edition Arts this Monday, October 17th at 7 in the evening, broadcast live from the WVIA studios and you're invited to be in the audience. And we think it's going to be fun. It's easy to get here. We're just off Interstate 81. There's an exit about a mile from the station. We're between Wilkes-Barre and Scranton. There's plenty of parking. It's free. 
And if you get here just a little bit before showtime, we'll get you in the audience and it's an intimate setting and we hope it'll be fun. There'll be a lot of electricity because the guests are so passionate about science fiction and fantasy. So it's here and it's on Monday evening at 7. And please tune in if you can't be here, but we hope you'll be able to join us then. And if you need more information, wvia.org wvia.org and to let us know you're coming wvia.org slash events wvia.org slash events